0: Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 29 we're in a series of messages really last year I was praying about where the Lord was going to take us in the scripture early this year and of course building uh, my mind and heart went to Nehemiah I believe by the Holy Spirit we're in a series titled let us rise up and build and you know that's what the Lord that or rather that's what the people Uh, that's what Nehemiah and the people, when he was telling them his burden to rebuild the walls and the gates that had been broken down for so many decades, then the people, when they heard what Nehemiah said in 2.18, they said, let us rise up and build. And they took up the good work. Chapter 3, in verse 29, we come to a verse, we've been looking at the gates. We've been looking at these ten gates that are mentioned in chapter 3. Here's what it says in verse 29. After them, Zadok, the son of Emir, made repairs to the front of his own house. Notice this. And after him, Shemiah, the son of Shechaniah, And I love this phrase. The keeper of the east gate made repairs. Now just let that settle in. The keeper of the east gate. Now if you look at these ten gates, just briefly, there's, as I said, there list ten gates, and you'll see a graphic here. Now, these gates are not just gates because in Isaiah, Isaiah said this in 1618. He said, your walls shall be called salvation and your gates shall be called praise. Now, if I built a gate out here, it'd just be a gate. But these are the gates of Jerusalem. So they're prophetic. In other words, they speak more than about brick and mortar. They speak beyond brick and mortar. And the Lord uses the city of Jerusalem, the holy city of Jerusalem. The walls shall be called salvation, and the gates shall be called praise. So each one of these gates are unique. They're specific, and they, in type and in shadow, refer to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in some aspect, or whether in type or shadow, His life ministry, His character. One minister, a famous minister, preached a whole series of messages on these gates. He titled it The Gospel in the Gates. And I think what we see is in the gates, we see from the first coming of Christ in his incarnation all the way to his second coming in glory. So, what have we seen so far quickly? We've seen Jesus, the Lamb of God. Remember what John said Behold, the Lamb of God. In the sheep gate. We've seen Jesus, the one who seeks and saves that which is lost, in the fish gate. We've seen Jesus, eternal God, in the old gate, the I am, the Alpha, the Omega. We've seen Jesus in his humility in the valley gate. How I many you know Jesus came from heaven and came way, way, way down and humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death of the cross? We've looked at Jesus, the sanctifier of his people, in the refuse gate. Not only wants to save us, but he wants to sanctify a holy people unto himself. We've seen Jesus, the great baptizer, in the Holy Spirit in the fountain gate. We've looked at at the, the water gate, Jesus, the living word, Jesus, the written word. And then last week, we looked at the horse gate. And you'll remember that in the horse gate, horses always refer to battle. And we saw there, Jesus, mighty Lord of hosts, the Lord mighty in Battle! Don't you know that's who Jesus is? He's mighty in battle. Today we look at the East Gate. Everyone say the East Gate. Today we look at another aspect of Jesus' life, ministry, and teaching. And what we look at today is the East Gate always refers, and it's always connected with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you believe Jesus is coming? One of the prayers in the Bible is, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And if you'll look at the, the graphic here, and if you guys could put it on the back too, if you can't, that's fine. This is, this is the gate. Or this is the gate I've stood. I didn't take this picture, but I could have taken this picture because I've stood right there. About where that is is actually the front door of a church <laughs> that they built there. But that's uh, the Kedron Valley, and you see the gate there. Now look at this other graphic there. You see the gate to the right. You see the, the Muslim Dome of the Rock. You see the valley there. And where the picture is being taken from is the Mount of Olives. And how you many know Jesus came over that, that, that Mount many times? He came over it first, last time, one time. In fact, as he peaked that hill in Luke 19, it says that he wept. He wept over Jerusalem because he knew that they had rejected him and were going to put him on the cross. And, and look at, is there another graphic there? That's a mock of, of the temple. See that gate? this it's not this it, it, that 's a mock of what they think it looks like, but the wall would have been there and and you, you get a picture of where the temple would have been positioned right there that gate that 's actually sealed up now. so think about this one of the then let me give you a little history of the gate, and i 'm going to give you some principles today. Well, the history of the gate is this this is called some call it the Golden Gate, Muslims call it differently, but it 's believed traditionally that on if you would back up to one of the graphics the graphic that gate right there Jesus came over that mount of olives down the Kidron Valley and in Luke and Matthew I'm sorry Mark chapter 11 it says that he entered Jerusalem. Do you remember what happened is they're palm branches and they're putting their clothes down and they're saying what blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus would have come probably through that gate. Traditionally that's the gate. Sealed up now. But one day it's going to be opened. It's also believed that that's possibly the gate when Peter and John were going to the hour of prayer. Remember this? And they were about to enter, and the scripture said there was a beggar there. There was a lame man there. And what did he say? They expected Silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that man would heal. It's possible that that happened here at this beautiful gate, this eastern gate. It's at this gate, and maybe not this exact gate, but in Ezekiel's prophecy, when the people of God had rejected the Lord and the Lord was going to send him and them into captivity, the, the scripture says that Ezekiel has a vision and the glory of God left the city of Jerusalem through the east gate and left on the eastern side. This is, we're, we're looking west. This way would be east. Here's what Ezekiel said. Look on the screen. And then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. And the cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight. When they went out, the wheels beside them, and they stood, notice this, they stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house. And and that gate would have been where they entered the courts. And then you enter the house of God. And it says of the Lord, The glory of the God of Israel was above them. This was the living creature I saw under the God of Israel at the river Kibar. And I I knew they were cherubim. So the cherubim lifted up their wings and the wheels beside them. And the glory of the God of Israel was high above them. And the glory of the Lord went up in the midst of the city and stood on the mountain which is on the east side of the city. So in his vision, he would have seen the glory of God leaving the east on the Kidron Valley side. Don't you know that had to break the prophet's heart to see the glory of God? I don't want the glory of God ever to leave. I don't want to ever see that. This gate, just introduction, this gate was also called the Shushan Gate. You remember where Nehemiah was? Nehemiah was in Shushan. He was in the palace there. Shushan Palace was about 150 miles north up in the Persian Gulf. He came from there to Jerusalem. This gate was also called the Shushan Gate in honor of King Cyrus, who gave the people permission to go back and rebuild their temple, rebuild their city. The position of the gate is very important because the position of this gate gives us an, a straight line to the Mount of Olives. And it was, it was there, we get an indication of where the temple, the ancient Jewish temple, used to sit there. It's interesting that one of the purposes of the gate, this eastern gate, was also called the causeway of the heifer. Now, if you would, if you would look at this graphic, it is believed that there was a bridge from the temple area, from this gate, across the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives. You say, well, what would they do there? On the Day of Atonement, They remember when the Scripture said they would take the scapegoat out across the Mount of Olives. They would take it out into the, the wilderness to sacrifice it as a type of our sin, the sin of God's people being taken away. But they would take a red heifer to the Mount of Olives and they would sacrifice it. And it's believed that possibly there was a causeway there. The, the in the Jewish people later, extra biblical literature, called it the causeway of the heifer. And what and and the, the eastern gate was a little bit lower, so when the priest was offering the red heifer on the Day of Atonement, he could look from the Mount of Olives and he could see the temple doors, and he could see the house of God there. The East Gate today is sealed. Sixteenth centuries, in the, in the sixteenth century, a Turkish Sultan from the Ottoman Empire, he sealed the gate up. And it's, it, it, there's actually a prophecy in Ezekiel 44 that this gate would be sealed until Messiah came. And so what happened is the, the, the Muslims sealed it up. They, there's actually a cemetery right outside. And no, no imam will go there because they'll be defiled by the graves. But I want you to know one day that gate's going to be open. Now, twice, it was, it was, twice the, the Muslims tried to, to open it. They tried to open it in 1917. And they tried to open it in 1967. And both times, God orchestrated circumstances that on the day they started, it was, it was stopped. So the word of God is true. Amen? That's just a brief history of this gate. So let me, let's, let's make it practical today. The east gate refers to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in glory. Jesus will return one day. I want to give you three words that you can take with you. Three words that connect us with the coming of Jesus. Three words. In the, the, the three words are, one is watch, the other is wait, and the other is wonder. First of all, let's look at this. First of all, the Bible tells us in relating To the coming of the Lord Jesus, watch. Have you noticed how many times as you read the scripture that when you start getting to the prophetic passages about the coming of the Lord and God begins to speak to his people, he says, watch. He says it over and over again. Watch. Now, it's interesting that the first gate in Jerusalem to be opened every single morning. Guess what gate it was? It was the east gate. Because practically... And from kind of a military security standpoint, that the sun would rise, all the gates are closed, the sun would rise in the east, and those watchmen would walk on the walls of Jerusalem. And about daylight, they would make their way to the east gate, and the sun would begin to shine down in that Kidron Valley. And they would say things like what they said in the Old Testament, watchmen, what of the night? Watchmen, how long is the night going to be? Is the night over yet? How much longer is the night going to be? A lot of people are asking that today. How much longer is our world going to be like it is? How, how long is it going to be? How long is this dark night going to take place? But I can tell you, the Son of Righteous is going to come with healing in His wings. The sun is coming. That sun would begin to shine, and the sun would begin to array the, the, the nooks and crannies in all the valley, and they would look down there, and they'd make sure there was no enemies. All of a sudden, they'd say, it's all right, and they would open that gate. It was the first gate opened every single morning as those watchmen patrolled. I think it's time that as we're in this night, we need, the church needs to be a watchman. Amen? We need to be a watchman because we're, we're in the night. We're in a dark world. Romans says the night is almost over. The day is almost at hand. We need to get ready for the coming of the Lord. We need to, we need to watch. In fact, I'll read that. Romans chapter 13. Here's what the Word of God says. Listen to this. Romans 13, 11 reads like this. And do this knowing the time that now it is high time that we awake out of sleep, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is far spent. Say that with me. The night is far spent. Hear me. We're 2,000 years away from his first coming, 2,000 years away from Bethlehem, 2,000 years, approximately, away from the life of Jesus, 33 and a half years, signs, miracles, and wonders, 33 and a half years. He lived, and then he was crucified. They placed him in the tomb. I've been in that tomb, and I can, I can tell you he's not there. Come on, he's alive. He's risen. What the angel said in Acts 2, he's not here, but he's risen. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in reverie, drunkenness, not in lewdness or lust or strife or envy. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The night's over. So what does the Lord say? The Lord says, watch, watch, watch. Every time you start reading passages Prophetic passages about the coming of Jesus, you hear these words over and again. Listen, it's on the screen. Matthew 24. Watch, therefore, Jesus says, for you do not know what hour the Lord is coming. Watch. Look what Luke says. Let your waist be girded, your lamps burning, for you yourselves like men who wait for their master, who will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately Notice, blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, find, what, sleeping? No, to watching. Assuredly, I say to you, that he will gird himself, and he will sit down and eat and and come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, and find them so blessed, blessed are those servants. Blessed are the ones, when Jesus comes, that they're alert and they're watching. Are you watching today? A lot of Christians have stopped watching. I'll tell you what that is in a moment. But know this, he says, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed the house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you don't expect. Watch. Luke 21:36. Again, watch therefore and pray always that you be counted worthy to escape the things which shall come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. And then Revelation, remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you do not watch, I will come to you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Do you hear the word of God? Do you hear the words of Jesus today? He says, listen, he said, you need to watch. Watch, what does that mean, Pastor? To watch means to stay spiritually alert. It means to stay spiritually awake. It is a present imperative tense. It means something that we need to do continuously. We need to continually stay on guard. He may come in the first watch, the second watch, the third watch, the fourth watch. We don't know when he's coming, but we need to watch. We need to be spiritually awake. We need to be fully awake in serving our Lord Jesus. Can I hear an amen? So what are the areas that we need to watch? One of the areas we need to watch is we need to watch against Satan and his schemes. He's a schemer. It says in 1 Peter 5.8, stay alert in the NLT. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We need to realize that Satan is scheming against us. Think about it. He's scheming against you right now. He's trying to scheme. He would love to stop this church. He would love to stop you as a child of God, but he cannot. He's defeated in the name of Jesus. But many people are caught unaware in some kind of temptation because they stop watching. Remember what Peter said? What Jesus said to Peter? He said in Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31, look at this. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. And then he said, of course, I prayed for you that your faith not fail. Wonder if Satan's asking for us. Wonder if there's some kind of plot or some kind of scheme against us. And we we know, if you look at the backdrop of that text, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and what did they fell asleep? They didn't watch. And Peter failed there. Thank God the Lord restored him. Aren't you glad for the mercy of the Lord? We need to watch. We, We need to watch something else. We need to watch our own hearts. Proverbs says, Keep or guard your heart. Guard your heart. Watch over your heart with all diligence for out of it springs life. How's your heart today? How's our heart today? That's the most important thing is the heart. See, what what Satan wants to do is to try to get our heart set on other things. How's your heart today? Are you watching over your own heart? Are you watching over your inner attitudes today? Think about it this way. You know, we that have been in church for a long time, it's easy to almost be like a robot. We know what to say. We know when to say amen. We know when to raise our hands. It's almost like, a, you know, it's like some kind of robot. But let me ask us all a question today. I ask it to my own heart. I ask it to all of us. When we were worshiping today, were we just going through the motions? Because we've done it a thousand times? Or was our heart so in love with Jesus, so on fire for God, that we were just, our mind was on the cross, our mind was on his mercy, our mind was on on how gracious and kind he's been to us, or were we just seen with our mouth and our heart wasn't even in it? Think about it. You have to ask ourselves, are we looking over our heart? Here's what the Bible says. Set your mind, your heart on things above and not on earthly things. What does John say? Don't love the world. Now, you're going to love something just the way it is. You're going to love something. You, 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 you have a God. And really, to be frank with you, it's not the God who you say. It's the God who you serve. People say a lot of stuff. Doesn't make it so. What's so is what's in my heart. You say, what, what is my God? It's what you sacrifice to. It's what you spend your time doing. It's what you spend your money on. That's what your God is. Whoever you serve, that's your God. The Bible said don't love the world. Don't love anything in the world. If, any, if, anyone, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I mean, that's clear, is it not? Jesus is saying you can't love this world and love me like you need to. And he says, what's in, notice what's in the world. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the desires of human appetite, body, the lust of the eyes, what you see. How I many we're attracted to what we see? They'll say, no, not me. No, no, all of us. Why? Because wh- why would they spend a million, two million dollars at Super Bowl for 30 seconds if people are not attracted to what they see? Because they know that people are going to call and buy that stuff. That's how we're put together. We've got to guard our hearts. He says, "Doesn't come lust of, pride of life. It comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but who, whoever does the will of God will live forever. I mean, no, we've got to guard. Listen, it's not a question, will you be tempted? You will be tempted. You've got to guard against the schemes of the enemy. You've got to guard your own heart. You've got to watch. We know when our prayer life is not what it needs to be. We know when our love for Jesus is waning a little bit. The Bible says, Keep yourself in the love of God. Gotta fight to stay there. Here's another area we need to watch. We need to watch over our marriages. Now you're quiet there, but I'm gonna say amen to myself there. Here's what the Bible says. Paul taught about marriage. You know, we need to be we need to watch over our marriages. So many marriages are failing. Because we're not doing what Paul taught through the Holy Spirit to watch over our marriages. To be sensitive to the needs of our marriage partner. Now I'll just say what the word of God says. Listen to this. Now concerning things, it's on the screen. Now concerning things to which you, I wrote, to, you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife. Let each woman have her own husband. So Paul said, Christians should not live in immorality. No. We're we're to be holy, godly people. And then Paul gives instruction about how to keep our marriages strong. Look at verse 3. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. Likewise, the wife her husband... The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but uh, the wife does. Now notice, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and to prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not a command. You know what that's saying to me? That's saying a husband should watch over his wife. A wife should watch over her husband. How many marriages fell on the rocks because we didn't obey this teaching to be sensitive to the needs and to stay close together and to stay in love? I've been married 34 years to this sweet lady here. I told someone, I told someone I'm doing some marriage counseling actually with someone that's not in our church. They they go to another church, but it was just kind of a sensitive thing, so they wanted to find someone else. And so I'm counseling with them, and I'm encouraging them. I told them, I said, you know, if, if something happened to my wife, I don't think I would ever get married again. And, she, and the, the, they kind of looked at me, and like, it's not that she ruined me, but she ruined me in a good way. When you got the best, hey, you don't, I mean, why would you, hey, you know what I'm saying? When you reach the top, who cares? You know, you don't, you know. And, um, but after 34 years, I can tell you, you have to watch over one another. You have to You have to maintain your relationship. And I'm counseling this couple, and they're having struggles, and they've only been married eight months. Eight months. And I'm like, okay, so I'm I'm pouring it on them. I'm just pouring the Word of God on them. How many of you know we've got to watch and be alert at the coming of Jesus to the schemes of the enemy? We've got to watch our own heart. We've got to watch over our homes, our marriages. And that brings the next one. We've got to watch over our kids. We've got to watch out. Bible said, train a child in the way that they should go when they're old. that they shall not depart from it. Ephesians speaks specifically to parents and to dads. You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. We have to watch over our kids. Listen, we have our kids 16, 17, 18 years maybe in our homes, and that's the shot we get. Now think about this. How can a child... Be raised in a home for 16, 17, 18 years and not know the Word of God. How can that happen? How can they not know how to pray? Pa- parents, listen, we fail our kids when we don't nurture them in the things of God. By the time our kids get 18 years old, they need know to know how to open this book and declare the plan of salvation. They need to know how to study the Word of God. They, have, they need to have words of God memorized in their heart. They need to know how to pray and how to trust God because they saw us on our knees Trusting God and living godly, they need to know how to overcome because we have demonstrated that to them. We, we need to watch over our kids. How can a child be raised for 18 years in a home and know about what the Kardashians are doing? And I really don't know what the Kardashians are doing. I know I've never even watched the Kardashians. Uh, I heard uh, 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 the gentleman got saved. Uh, what's the guy's name? Yeah, I heard, praise God. You know, people say, oh, did he really get saved? Well, let's believe he did get saved. And uh, so, but anyway. But isn't it amazing how we, our kids can know all, everything, every sitcom, every whatever's on YouTube and every fashion, every this and that. But do we know Jesus? Do we know Jesus? Are we poor? Are we, have, our kids ought to love Jesus because they've been raised in a home where Jesus is. Come on, amen? got to watch over our children. Here's another thing we need to watch over. We need to watch over our church. You hear that? We need to watch it. The Bible tells pastors, obey those who have rule over you and be submissive, for they watch over your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do it with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. I want to watch over you. Now, I can't make you let me watch over you, but I want to watch over you. I want you to submit to my leadership because God called me here 16 years ago. I want to get you to heaven. Now, I can't do it, but with God's help, we can. I want to, I want to nurture you. i want to fill you with the word of God. i want to keep pouring God's grace in you with his help and his words so that you stay close to God. I want to watch over you. I want to warn you when I see things that are out of line because I love you. I want to watch over you. That's the call of God upon us. Watch over. Paul told the Ephesians when he was leaving them, he said, he told them there was going to be some wars in Acts. He says this, Therefore, take heed to yourself and to all the flock among you, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this. See, the Lord gave him a prophecy, a prophetic word. He said this, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, and not sparing the flock. There's going to come some devils in the church to tear the church up. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things. In other words, there are going to be some folks not only that come from the outside that are false prophets, there are going to be those in the church that get some kind of new doctrine and start teaching false doctrine. So what does he say do? He said they're going to draw disciples away to themselves. Notice 31. Therefore do what? Watch. Therefore Watch. And remember, for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone, night and day with tears. So, so now, brethren, I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus. We have got to watch over the church. You've got to watch it. Not, now, listen, this is, a, this, is, this is a work that we do together. Now, I'm the shepherd under Jesus, little bitty, little... S, real little S. I can promise you. Yes, pastor, watching over the flock. But we have to watch over one another. Here's what Jesus. Here's what Paul said: Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but lowliness of mind. Let each Esteem others better than than themselves. Notice this. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also on the interests of others. We've got to watch over one another in these last days. Think about it. We've got to watch over the doctrine of the church. We've got to watch over the spiritual condition of the church. We've got to watch over our relationships and love each other enough to be concerned about where we are with God. How do we do it? There's three ways. Number one is through prayer. Everybody say prayer. 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 Everybody say prayer again. Prayer. Come on. Prayer. Prayer. More prayer. 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 Constant prayer. If any desire that I have is that everyone in this church will be a person of fervent prayer, prayer will change everything in this church. It will change everything. We watch over one another with prayer. Colossians says this, continue earnest in prayer. Being vigilant, that means watching. Watching in it with thanksgiving. Peter said this, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Prayers keep the church vibrant. Prayer keeps the church holy. Prayer keeps the church anointed. Prayer keeps the church flowing in love. Prayer is everything. Like breath is to our physical bodies, prayer is like life to the church. And think about this if we're not praying for the church, then we really can't say that we love the church. We can't say we love the body if we're not really praying fervently. Because one of the ways that we express our love and watch over the church is we pray. Are you praying for your ministers? Are you praying that we won't do something foolish and stupid and stumble and wreck the church? Are you, are you praying that we preach good doctrine? Are you praying that our, that our families? Are, are you, we're, I'm praying for you. We were here last night. JR, you were here with me. You heard me. We were praying together. We were praying for this church. But we have to pray. That's how we watch over one another. Here's another way. second way we watch over one another is through encouragement. And, and, and this is a passage in light of the coming of the Lord. Hebrews says, and let... Let's consider one another, notice this, in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking of the similitude of yourself together. As a manner of some is, but exhort one another. Exhort one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. You know what that word exhorting means? It means to come alongside and inspire someone with the truth. I want you to be inspired with the truth. I want to come alongside you and paint Jesus so wonderfully and so beautiful that you'll fall in love with him and that we will fall in love with Jesus as a church to inspire us to serve God. Here's the third way. Now, here's how we watch over the church. we got to watch over. We watch over one another. We watch over our own hearts. We watch over our families. Watch over our marriage. Watch over our children. Watch over our church. How do we do it? Through prayer, through exhortation, through encouragement, inspiring one another. Saying, you can do it. Oh, pastor, well, I stumbled this week and I fell into sin. Get up, be cleansed, and move on with Jesus. You're not down for the count. Come on, a righteous man falls seven times and gets back up again. Peter didn't watch, and he stumbled. He denied the Lord three times, and then three times the Lord said, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Now get up and go tend the sheep. Aren't you glad he's the God of a second and third and fourth and a thousand chances? He'll never give up on you. If you won't give up, he's certainly not going to give up. Thank God for his abundant grace. Encouragement. You can do it. But also a third way we watch over one another is correction. The Bible said all scriptures given by inspiration of God's profitable for doctrine, for reproof. Notice for what? Correction and instruction in righteousness. The word correction means to restore something. To its proper condition it's 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 taking an object that's fallen down you 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 correct it you you restore it you set it up right again it's it's somebody that's fallen down and you help them get up again yeah. see the scripture tells us what's wrong but it shows us what's right too yeah. and that's what scripture does isn't it wonderful the way it does it it convicts us when, 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 we, when we stumble in some way. The Word of God convicts us, but it doesn't leave us there. It says, I've got a better way. Walk ye in it. Oh, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. So think about it. Everybody say, wait. Now I was going to spend the bulk of my time there. I'm going to give you two more. They'll be very brief. The word wait or, or the word watch. We've got to watch in these days, but we also have to wait. Now, waiting is different than Watching. Watching has to do with the negative, really. It's watching against evil. It's it's watching against spiritual lethargy and and lukewarm. It's it's guarding against the negative things that can happen. But waiting is something different. Waiting has to do with the positive aspects of the kingdom of God. So now listen. When it relates to the coming of Jesus, listen. Waiting is not sitting around like at a doctor's office twiddling your thumbs. You know, hurry and wait. You know how that is come quickly the you know come to the and then you wait for 2 hours and you're just sitting there that's not that's not waiting in the bible absolutely not think about this when you're getting ready to go on a trip somewhere vacation let's say you don't just wait till the last second and not do anything but what are you doing when you're waiting you're getting the clothes ready, you're planning the trip out, you're preparing, you're getting the, 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 the suitcases packed, you're getting the car oil changed, you're you preparing for the trip. Can I tell you this? The people of God that are preparing for the coming of Jesus Christ are not sitting around inactive, but they are active. They are preparing for the trip. Are you preparing for the trip? Are you ready? Are you getting ready today? Well, if you're getting ready, listen, those who are getting ready for the coming of Jesus, Eastgate. Coming of the Lord. Those people, how do I know they're ready? Because they're they're busy. They're busy for God. Now, notice this. I'm, I'm almost done. In the parable of the talents, it's like a man that went into a far country, and the scripture says that the master gave his goods to them. He gave talents to them. He gave one five, he gave one two. And he gave one one. And he went. and while he was gone, the guy that had five talents, went and gave five more. The guy that had two talents, the Lord's goods, he got two more talents. But there was one guy that took his talent and buried it. And then there came a day, there came a day when the master came back and gave an account for what they did. The guy that had five said, I've got, I've, got five, I, I, I've, I've got five, and I've gained five more. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. The guy that had two said, "This, I've got two more. I've been busy while you've been gone. I've been active. knew you were coming back. I was waiting, but I was occupying while I was waiting. I was busy. And then the guy that had one said, you know, I know that you're a hard man. I know that you're reap where you didn't sow. What did the Lord say? What did the words of Jesus? He said, you wicked servant. You wicked and unprofitable servant. He lost everything. He said, cast him in outer darkness where there will be weeping and where there will be gnashing of teeth. Can I tell you this? While we're watching, we need to be waiting. We need to be busy. And we need to be active. I thought about this, this verse of Scripture. In John, it says this, little John. Now, now, little children, abide in him for when he appears that we may have confidence and, be, and, and not be ashamed before him and his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So think about this as we conclude. He says that this is the only way to have confidence and to be unashamed, to, to remain in him, to abide in him. To be actively serving him, if you will. So think about this as we conclude. The East Gate has always connected with the coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. And we think about his coming, we think about watching, staying alert, staying aware. But we also have to think about waiting. But as you stand with me, there's one more word. Would you stand? Our musicians are coming. We're going to close in prayer. And I want you to think about this today. That when Jesus comes back again, Hebrews says that he's not coming to do with salvation. In other words, he's coming without salvation, without dealing with salvation, because he's not coming the same way. He's not coming. He's not going to return to have nails put in his hands and his feet. Right? He's not going to re- return to have a crown down upon his brow. But I'm going to tell you. He's coming in splendor. He's coming in glory. He's coming in majesty. Look at, look at the screen. Look at this verse. Since it is righteous. It's a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. And to give you who are troubled rest. Notice. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God. And those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. And from the glory of his power. When he comes in, in that day. Notice to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. In the NIV it says in 2 Thessalonians 1.10 on the day when he comes to be glorified in his holy people to be marveled at among those who have believed this includes you because you believed our testimony. The Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. We need to be ready and prepared for the coming of Jesus. And while He's coming, we got to build a church here. There are multitudes in this city that need the Lord. We have to be busy. We have to take the goods of God, the goods that He has given us, our time, our treasure, our talents, our abilities, and we need to invest it in this church and through this church for the glory of God. Now I want you just to with me to worship Jesus for a moment. Would you just worship his holy name today? Lord, I worship you. Lord, I bless you. I glorify your holy name. Jesus, we honor you. We know that you're coming and you're going to be glorified in the saints. You're going to be marveled at among us as we see you. And you're not going to come to suffer that day. You're going to come to display your majesty and to display your glory. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just wait just a moment on the Holy Spirit. Father, guide us at this moment, Lord. Jesus. I would say to all of us today, to you here today, that if there's sin in your life, You need to turn from that sin today. You need to surrender your heart to Jesus. Maybe your heart has drifted away from where it once was. Maybe you have left your first love. You don't ever lose your first love. You don't lose it. You leave it according to Revelation 2. I just pray for you today in the name of Jesus. I pray the Lord would put a new tenderness in your heart. Lord, put a new devotion in my heart today. Maybe you would just pray that prayer with an upraised hand. Lord, put a new devotion in my heart to Jesus today. Lord, I repent of any wickedness in my own heart. I pray that you would cleanse me and wash me in the precious blood of Jesus. Restore our fellowship. Restore our fellowship. How many of you with me today would make a commitment? I want to ask you, this will be my conclusion. I want want to ask you to make a commitment to me. I'm looking at you and I want you to look at me. Would you make a commitment with me? Because I'm going to make one with you. And I want you to make one with me. Would you, could, could we make a covenant together today to say, I'm going to watch over my brothers and sisters. I'm going to watch over my brothers and sisters. I mean, this church doesn't need to be about just coming to church on Sunday, look at the back of someone's head. But this has to be a fellowship. We're a family of God. Would we truly, and I'm asking you truly, not just to say it because everybody, would you say, Pastor, I'll, I'll make a commitment to watch over my brothers and my sisters. If you do that, would you just raise your hand? Just say, Lord, I'll do that. Lord sees, You know, the Lord sees our hand today. Amen? Well, just keep it up. Lord, just think about it. What does it mean? I'm going to pray for my church family. I'm going to be there for them when they're discouraged. I'm, I'm going I'm to show up to church. Because when I don't show up, it pulls the church down. I'm going to show up. Because that that builds the church. That watches over the church. I'm going to use my gifts. I'm going to use my talents to build Trinity Life Church. I'm going to teach. I'm going to pray. My words are going to be sweet and tender. not going to be ugly words or gossipy words. That's not going to happen. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to let life flow out of my tongue. Life and death in the power of the tongue. Those that love it, shoot the fruit of it. Come on. Father, we're going to watch over. We commit to watching over one another. These are our brothers, Lord. These are our sisters. This is our family that we're going to spend eternity with. And we know we live in a harsh, brutal world. And Lord, this needs to be a house where we, we watch over one. And that watching over doesn't mean you're nosy. It means that you watch over with care. You watch over something that's valuable. We watch over our brothers. We watch over them. We, we encourage our brothers and our sisters. We encourage them to a deeper walk with Jesus, a, a closer prayer walk. Lord, and we we encourage your people today. We just love you for it. Thank you for this body. Lord, as we come closer to your coming, we know that we're going to need to bind together. And Lord, we ask that your grace would be here. Lord, you saw our commitment today. Help us to enable us to fulfill our commitment to this body. Now, Father, today, how grateful we are that we've shared this time together in your word. I pray that as we go through this week, oh God, that we'll consider that this week Jesus could come. It's imminent. And this week, that the only thing that really matters this week is are we doing your will? Are we fulfilling your will? Because he that does the will of God will abide forever. Lord, if there's things that we're tied up in and and enamored with that are not good for our spiritual lives, help us to get rid of those things, to turn away from those things. And Lord, I pray that your will would be accomplished today. Let your will be done this week in each of our lives. And once again, Lord, we commit to praying for our brothers and our sisters. And Lord, I believe this week that as we go through our week, someone will come to our heart. A person will come to our heart. And that's the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to pray for them. Lord, help us to be sensitive. Now, church, I dismiss you. And I pray that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit would be upon us all. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Love one another as you're dismissed today, in Jesus' name.